Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, December 27, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I hope you enjoy the countdown of the 10 biggest things in college basketball in 2019 that we did earlier this week on the podcast. If you missed it, try to check it out. We recorded it Monday night. The feedback has been good with just one complaint, far as I can tell. And if I'm being honest, I think the complaint is valid. Norlander, I don't even know if you've seen any of the complaints, but do you want to take a guess at the biggest complaint I've seen via Twitter? Uh, I'll take a guess. I have not looked. I'll get to – let's wait to the end of the podcast on a quick note as to why I have not seen it. Um, We are podcasting against all odds at this moment. Um, So it's something that we did not include on the top ten that, in retrospect, you think is a valid criticism that we should have included? I really didn't hear any of that. Like, I, I, well, what about this thing that didn't make your top ten? It was like, you don't have this thing number one, and this thing should have been number one. Really? It's that big? Yeah. And we, it's that obvious, and we missed it? No, 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 no. It's, it's on our list. It's just like, you, don't, you have it too low. It should have been number one. If uh, you're, the, the, the criticism would be, if you're really making a list of the biggest things in college basketball in the year 2019 – you didn't have the right number one. Um, well, I mean, Zion Williamson was the biggest thing in college basketball, but I thought that Virginia was the biggest story. And then otherwise, it would have to be... Uh... That's it. You got it. I mean, okay. the complaint is Zion Williamson was the biggest story, biggest thing, biggest everything. He was college basketball uh, up until the last weekend, the last week of the season. In fact, um, I got a tweet from at GSC trip and it, I, I think it puts it accurately and simply Zion was easily the biggest story for all, but the last weekend of the season. And with the benefit of hindsight, I think that's true. I think Virginia winning the national championship, um, a year after losing to a 16 seed was an incredible story but if you're really trying to what was the biggest thing in college basketball in 2019, looking back on that five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, the biggest thing was probably Zion Williamson. He was the story of college basketball, again, really every week except for the final week of the season. Probably, but I do think um, – like, let's do a, let's do a quick, uh, quick game here. Like Right now, 2013 national champion, who won? Louisville? Oh, good job. I'm not good at this, by the way, so don't keep pressing. Two, oh, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. How about 2004? Who won? 2004. 2005 was North Carolina. Yes, So it was. 2004, was that UConn? Uh, you're, pretty, you're solid at this. I do think 25 years from now, whether it's the only title Tony Bennett wins or he, this is the first of two, four, five, whatever, uh, I do think the nature of Virginia's national championship will forever be tied. Like the UMBC, UMBC started it, the title ended it, and so um, I do think that this season will that season will be uh, heavily tied to Virginia doing that, particularly the way that w- they did it. And Zion is right alongside of it. There's there's no doubt about it. I will add the, one one more quick thing uh, to this as we kind of have an epilogue to the previous episode. And I really did. That was a long episode, but I really really enjoyed that year in review. And for those listening, I hope you did as well. Um, again, we don't know what Zion Williamson's NBA career will become, but if for whatever reasons, injuries, whatever, he just is a, is an average NBA player, his time in college will actually become that much bigger 
and um, there'll probably be some unfair, uh, you know, pardon the word here, but narratives attached to all of that. But if he does not become an all-star or, you know, a three-time, five-time, eight-time all-star at the NBA level, uh, his time at Duke will be all the more reinforced to uh, the supernova that he was and how dominant he was. And then, if anything, um, his career will probably be unfairly picked apart because of it, but it will reinforce just how big of a deal he was while he was in college. I don't think there's any scenario where he's not a superstar, or at least let me let me maybe. He has yet to play a game, Gary Parish. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any scenario. Let me put it this way: a star, maybe not supers. I don't think there's any scenario where he's not an all-star level player, except for injuries, except for his health. Like yeah. he just can't do it. Um, like you know, Johnny Manziel didn't become what some people wanted him to become in the NFL for various reasons: um, work ethic, focus. I mean, the substance abuse problems, uh, uh, you know, probably all in there uh, combining to contribute. And then perhaps just a you know lack of talent, uh, which is what some people thought in advance of the draft. But he's the most recent college superstar. Everybody knows his name. And then it just never happened in, the, in, in professional sports. He's probably the latest example of that. And it would be shame. It'd be a shame if, if Zion joined that list for obviously different reasons, um, but still uh, disappointing, and I and clearly uh, entering their professional careers, the ceiling was considered much higher for Zion than it was for Johnny Manziel. I mean, he was a questionable first round draft pick, where as Zion was undeniably the number one pick in the NBA draft. But if he play, there's nothing that's happened in the past year when we've seen him on a basketball court, whether it's uh, you know preseason, whatever you know at Duke where it hasn't been clear he is a dominant basketball player regardless of competition. I think that's that's pretty easy to assume at this point. The question is, like, is he going to be healthy enough to ever um, fulfill his um, expectations um, with any level of, of consistency? Because like we pointed out on the previous podcast, he has been taken away from basketball because of knee issues three times in the 2019 uh, calendar year, and I don't know if you saw the most recent reports, but you know he was supposed to be back in theory by now, and he's still not even playing three on three, not even close to being back. And part of that is the Pelicans are totally trying to reteach him how to walk and how to run. They have identified wow. issues with the way he walks because if he does kind of waddle a little bit, he I does. mean, like you've noticed that yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. He would walks, he sort of waddles. <laughs> it's, just, it's, 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 I don't know how to explain it perfectly, but like just YouTube it, you'll see it. And apparently they have, um, identified <laughs> some issues with the way he walks with the way he runs. And they're trying to teach him how to walk differently and run differently. Like they're spending 90 minutes a day with him after, normal workouts just can you imagine drafting somebody that you have to teach how to walk that's a hell you know, of a deal you know parish <laughs> but that's where you, they're at you do also just as uh, you do got a little bit of that in your in in your gate just to let you know like you do I, have a li- I, you know you do you've got a little bit of like a it's not quite a strut but it's a little bit of back and forth has, has anyone ever told you that because you got a little I, bit of that I, I, I feel like i've heard that before but I don't recognize it when I'm doing it. Yeah, you know, you definitely, uh, you definitely got a little bit of something. Uh, I'm not, I'm not calling you the, the same level athlete as Zion Williamson, or that you're gonna have those kind of issues. But you do. And since you brought it up, I was picturing the way Zion Williamson walks, and 
for whatever reason, your head on his body, which is just an amazing <laughs> image, did pop into my mind. How is it possible I've got better knees than Zion Williamson? That's how is it. How is it possible I'm a better walker than Zion Williamson? <laughs> Think about that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can walk better than my God. I can walk better than the number one pick in the NBA draft from earlier this year. So, like all jokes aside, I hope. I, like we hope he gets better, clearly, and hope he's back on NBA court soon, um, because you know, it, yeah, again, it would just be unfortunate if, if you know health prevented him from being the star that I think he will otherwise uh, be. But if to circle back, if the question is, I guess I put it this way: it, if we could do redo the list right now, I would rank Zion number one and, and Virginia number two. I suppose it's debatable, but that is the one complaint that I saw multiple people make and by, by compl- it's not really a complaint as much as it's a you know a, an opinion um, th- that I saw multiple people make on Twitter like Zion was the biggest thing story everything in college basketball in 2019 he should have been number one and uh, I-, I think I agree with that meantime there is growing speculation that Cole Anthony will not play again for North Carolina we're gonna get into that next but first check this out Hey, y'all, it's Chip Patterson from CBS Sports. If you're a diehard fan of college football, then you don't need me to remind you that this sport knows no offseason. And let's be honest, if you're a diehard fan of college football, I kind of expect you to already be subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast. But don't worry if you missed out on the lock fights, late night instant reactions, and emergency podcasts in 2019. There's still room for you to join us. Results on the field in the fall are the product of pieces that were set in place in the winter. So don't miss out on the moves, news, and headlines that will determine the 2020 National Championship. Download and subscribe to Cover 3 Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut Podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. So there's growing speculation that Cole Anthony will not play at North Carolina again. Norland, I'm not sure if you saw it, but here's what our friend and former colleague Sam Vecini wrote for The Athletic earlier this week about uh, injured lottery picks Cole Anthony, LaMelo Ball, and R.J. Hampton after spending time in Las Vegas around dozens of NBA people. Sam wrote, quote, The feeling among NBA evaluators is that injured guards Cole Anthony, LaMelo Ball, and R.J. Hampton aren't going to play the rest of the season. It's worth stressing that no final decisions have been made by those players, uh, and thus it's possible they will still play. Scouts and executives don't know that Anthony won't suit up again for North Carolina or that Ball and Hampton won't play again in the NBL. Rather, it's their working expectation that they're not going to get to see them again given their contextual situations. They're using logic. Because North Carolina's team around Anthony has struggled with no floor spacing and a cluttered lane around him every time he drives into the paint, NBA executives believe that those around Anthony will stress to him that it's not worth returning. 
That will be especially true if North Carolina loses a lot of games in his absence against a weak schedule and this takes itself out of the NCAA tournament picture. Norlander, do you think we've seen Cole Anthony for the final time in a North Carolina uniform? I'll be direct and I'll say no, but I have had this thought. I think I expressed it on a previous podcast. If UNC goes on to have significant issues in the ACC and it can't even keep its head above water, Cole Anthony projects, even with this injury, um, I won't say universally, but a top five pick is completely um, within reality if he does not play again. Um, and it would not stun me. Uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a major development in that you would have, in the same season, for what I have to believe is the first time ever in college basketball, two top five level picks in college for eligibility, injury, whatever, opting to bail on their college careers to not return um, and, and, and pursue a pro opportunity, which is the, which is the, uh, it's like the college bowl College players sitting out the bowls taken to, you know, the sixth degree, basically. Uh, where it's one thing where if you've been a junior or senior in college football, you're playing some forgettable bowl on December 29th, or, you know, New Year's Eve or whatever, and you're just like, I'm going to I'm gonna pack it in here. I'm not going to chance injury uh, if I think I'm going to be a first, second, or third round pick. It's completely understandable. Um, I would endorse any player that wants to do that, frankly. Uh, it's, it's a whole nother level if you are a Cole Anthony type James Wiseman type, and you decide I'm just going to shut it down altogether and simply not return to competition and going to take the stock where I have it right now and hope that my April and May workouts are going to uh, either steady me or boost me to to a certain spot in the, in the draft. So uh, I won't be stunned if it happens. I'm going to say that will not happen, only because uh, Cole Anthony is a truly like fierce competitor. Um, I... I think that he will be better. He'll be back in time to still want to give it a go. And I don't think that this is going to sit well with him, having his career kind of just sputter out the way that it has. So uh, he's he's nine games deep into a career. Um, I think he'll be back. He'll be playing for Carolina this season. And my long-term projection is this, and we can do a Wofford-type flashback if we need to. Um, but I'll say that he'll return – and one of the most compelling storylines in college basketball when he does return will be if he can be healthy enough and good enough to get UNC into the NCAA tournament. I would lean that way as well. I do think there's two things that would make him less likely to return or unlikely to return. One would be if he's just not healthy enough. And if he's not healthy enough, he shouldn't return. That's like, right. You know, yeah, like, listen, he is worth millions of dollars, and um, playing at anything less than 100% would be foolish. So if he's not healthy enough to return, then he won't return, and he shouldn't return. And anybody trying to criticize him for that would, would be uh, – it'd be misguided criticism. The other thing that I think could play a role is you mentioned bowl games for football players. Well, you know, they don't the, – the, these football players, they don't sit out the college football playoff. They sit out the Cotton Bowl, and they sit out the Birmingham Bowl, and they sit out the Liberty Bowl. Um, they, but they don't sit out the, the, the games that actually mean something. And so if you want to, you know, make a perhaps apples to oranges comparison, but still something uh, similar, still fruit to fruit, 
Um, if Cole Anthony returns and North Carolina has just lost so much before he's able to come back that he would be coming back not to try to get North Carolina to the NCAA tournament, but to try to get them to the NIT. Like where if it's just crystal clear, uh, you're not you're not taking this team to the NCAA tournament. At that point, you could go if I'm not playing for any if I'm not playing for a trip to the tournament, what am I playing for? Like if you're an Alabama running back and you're playing for a, a, a trip to the to the national championship game, that's worth playing for, even if you're a top ten pick. If you're just gonna go to the you know fiesta or, or a, a different bowl, anything yeah. outside of the college football playoff, perhaps that's not worth playing for. I think Cole Anthony's approach could could be similar. If if I can come back, if if this team is holds it together well enough that I can come back. And we can beat Duke twice, beat Louisville, and go to the NCAA tournament. That's worth playing for. But coming back to just play out a schedule that's leading to nowhere because the damage to the resume was so um, significant in my absence that we can't get to the tournament. Then I think you could reasonably argue, yo, it's, t- it's time to just clock out. That's why I think his situation is, is vastly different than James Wiseman's situation. I mean, if Cole Anthony comes back to take North Carolina to the NIT – He's just a, another great talent who played at North Carolina. Like, who cares? But Wiseman, in theory, was set to rejoin a top-10 team. And, you know, if you take Memphis to a Final Four, you're a legend forever in Memphis. You know, they don't yeah. have uh, the history of North Carolina or Duke or Kentucky. You know, any Memphis fan can can tell you the, the starters from all three Final Four teams. There's never been a national champion so you got a chance to go do that and what is a wide open year um, you know th- th- to walk away from that i still think is just just odd and and i don't think Cole Anthony would be walking away from that so it's why i guess i'd bottom line it this way i would understand if north carolina goes 3 and 5 in its next 8 games and Cole Anthony's cleared to return and he just says eh but you know the numbers are so bad at this point we're not going to be able to get to the NCAA tournament I'm just going to focus on my pro career. I would understand that a lot, a lot, um, a, not, a lot more easily than I can understand James Wiseman walking away when he walked away. I would too. Uh, UNC seven and five, and next four games are at home. The roadies after that are Pitt and Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I I understand UNC is in a, a serious downswell here, um, but I do think that it will be. Uh, in still a good enough spot where, provided there there are no further setbacks, and you know, it's a knee, it's an MCL, it's 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 not insignificant by any means. Let's, he's got to get fully healthy here. They're not going to put him back on the floor until uh, he is 100%. You know, make the parallel almost to, to Zion Williamson, obviously, uh, except Zion Williamson is now being handsomely paid, and Cole Anthony is not yet. Um, I do think that Carolina. I'm projecting that Carolina will be uh, still within. Reach of the NCAA tournament by the time he is able to come back, and so that's what will make uh, make that happen. But we'll wait and see, and then obviously as we get advancements on that story, we'll continue to update you, talk about it, and uh, and see where we go from there. The last thing I'd say on this is that I do find it odd that suddenly college basketball is being treated by some like um, this thing you do not participate in if you are projected to be selected a certain way. Because here's the truth about the two players we're talking about, James Wiseman and Cole Anthony. Their projections for the 2020 NBA draft ain't really any different today than they were a year ago. 
or, or two years ago. Right. And, and yet they go through this stretch where they'll play three grassroots games a day. And then and then you get to college and it's like, well, I've got to protect my draft stock. I can't play twice a week anymore. Like, what? You're, you, you, why, why are you so interested in, per, quote, protecting your draft stock now? And yet you didn't. You weren't. You didn't have that mindset a year ago when your draft stock was exactly the. There was nothing anybody has said connected to James Wiseman in the 2020 draft or Cole Anthony in 2020 NBA draft that they weren't saying a year ago when these guys were playing. You know, high school games on back-to-back days and grassroots games, uh, two and you know, one in the morning and one at night. And yet, you know, you, you fast forward to today and it's like everything's risky. How much riskier is it today than it than it was a year ago? But whatever, we can discuss that in. Uh, at length, it sounds like a perfect off-season uh, hmm. podcast. Um, let's get to the final four and one. If you're just now tuning in to the Eye on College Basketball podcast, that's the way we close every Friday podcast. We take uh, four games. I do. I pick them. Four games. Uh, we uh, pick them against the spread. Then Norlander gets the and one to make a five-game set of games. Picks against the spread. Uh, I went one and four last week. <laughs> Norlander went four and one. So the seeding total is now... Norlander's 19-15-1. and one. I'm 13-21-1. and one. Not good at this, Norlander. I, but I, I advise anyone willing to uh, – to, if, you're, if you're comfortable enough to get a little bit frisky with your money, just fade GP, hashtag fade GP, and, and you'll be doing just fine here. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say ride with my picks. You know, I'm, I'm certainly hitting it like what, like a 50 – 54, 55% rate right now, which is fine, um, but you can always swing back the other way. So, all right, it's a, it's a solid weekend, obviously, of college basketball here. We had almost no action the past few days, only out in, uh, in, in Hawaii. Houston won the Diamond Head Classic. Congrats to the Cougs. That's obviously good for the American Athletic Conference, which is setting up to be probably, uh, well, definitely at least a three-bit league, I think, this season, but four is obviously on the table. But that was the only action there. So for those listening to this podcast, kind of aching for College Hoops content and ready for the games to return, trust me, we hear you loud and clear. And it's not an amazing weekend, but it's obviously a stacked weekend because now teams are getting back into the fold after getting three, four, five days off for Christmas break. And we're going to give you our five best. GP, what are we going to start off with here? Are we going to start with the biggie or are you going to go some more uh, under the radar, if you will, type of games? Well, I pick them in chronological order, or at least I, um, I, 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 I put them in chronological order after I pick the four games. And so we'll start Saturday, 345 Eastern. It's number three, Louisville. At number 19, Kentucky, inside Rupp Arena. You can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Ken Palm has Louisville projected as a one-point favorite. Norlander, what are you doing? Louisville by one per Ken Palm. Damn. Okay, I obviously knew this was going to be one of the four that you picked. And I was anticipating Kentucky to be favored in this game. Uh, So I was going to go Louisville on the money line. I will take the Cardinals in this one. Um Kentucky fans, I don't hate your team. I promise. Uh, I want to see. I want to see Louisville go into a harsh environment. It's only one. I don't have it. I don't have it in front of me here. But I was looking at it. Louisville's win percentage in like the past ten meetings. I want to say the Cards are like two and eight against Kentucky in the past ten meetings. Something along those lines. Kentucky has owned this series as of late. Uh, getting a road opportunity here. I guess a Kentucky team that's slumping. I will take Louisville. Um, uh, we are using the Ken Palm line. 
I'm going to guess that when the line, the betting line comes out, Kentucky will be favored. I, I'm going to say Kentucky will be favored by one in this. Uh, so for those purposes, Louisville money line might be the play. But yeah, I'll take Louisville to win. Um, you know, I think it'll be a three or four point game. Should be a good game. I think Louisville is easily the better team right now. The home court advantage is the biggest factor here. But give me Chris Max cards to get to 12 and one, and in doing so, really put Kentucky's season uh, in dire straits. If, if that does happen, Kentucky will obviously have lost three straight games and will fall to eight and four with only one significant win on its resume, and that would be the season opener against Michigan State. Yeah, right now Kentucky is eight and three. They got one top one hundred Kimpom win, two sub one hundred Kimpom losses. So the resume is really lacking. And you know they lost two straight, like you said, first to Utah and then to Ohio State. But they did play well against Ohio State, not well enough to win, but well enough to be competitive uh, with the Buckeyes. To your point about uh, Kentucky dominating the series, they have won the past two. They beat Louisville last time the game was in Rupp Arena by twenty nine points. I've never been so mad about killing myself to get to a game. I had booked the travel just to go to the game for .com. I like, remember. Very early. And then I got put on, I, I think, a this. Memphis yes. LSU yes. CBS Sports Network game sideline duty. So my plan was just, hey, you know, I'll fly in because it's that time of the year. It was right around this time of the year where I'm not doing radio because we're off for the holidays. So I'm like, I'll just fly in, you know, early afternoon to Louisville. I mean, to Lexington, get a nice meal in Lexington, wake up the next day. And uh, you got like I think it was an early tip then, like an 11 a.m. or a noon tip. And then, of course, I can't leave. Uh, I can't leave for Lexington the day before the game because I got to be at FedEx Forum the night before the game. Long story, not so long. I had to wake up. I did, you know, I got home from FedEx Forum at like midnight after doing sideline duty and had to wake up at four, fly from Memphis to Atlanta, Atlanta to Lexington, check into my hotel, take a shower, go straight to the arena to Rupp. I, I, I can't even hold my eyes open. And it's a 29 it's a point total... speed down. I was like, why am I here? Why did I? Why? I, I could, uh... So it, it was like an early game. I remember I wrote my column, went back to my hotel at probably like four o'clock. And just crashed. Yeah. I just like crashed. It was so uh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully this one's more competitive. Please. I'm I'm, cer- I'm certain it will be. One interesting thing we've talked so much about Kentucky's three point shooting, twenty seven point eight percent from beyond the arc. That ranks three hundred twenty third in the country. On the other side, and this is not a good sign for Kentucky. Louisville's one in the one of the best in the country at guarding the three point line. Uh, they hold opponents to twenty six point seven percent from three. That ranks twelfth in the country. So if Kentucky was going to try to straighten out its three point shooting, this is not the team you want to try to do it against. Which of course means they're going to knock down like ten of twenty two, and uh, and and win the game. I, I will take Kentucky at home. I, I agree with you. I think Louisville's the better team. If this were being played at the Yum Center, I would take Louisville. If this were being played on a neutral court. I would take Louisville, but I saw enough from Kentucky, enough fight in Kentucky against Ohio State to think that um, they, they can get this done inside Rupp Arena. I'm not guaranteeing it. In fact, I'm probably wrong given my record, <laughs> but I'll take I'll take Kentucky as a one-point underdog, according to Ken Palm, uh, inside Rupp Arena. Sunday, noon Eastern, number 22, West Virginia against Ohio, number two, Ohio State inside Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland. You can watch that on FS1. Ken Palm projects Ohio State minus seven. Uh, wow. So the only Saturday game you got here is Kentucky-Louisville. I have that right? Yep. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, it is a solid Sunday. This, uh, is, this is a this is a weekend where the Sunday schedule is better than the Saturday. Schedule. And that is almost obviously never the case uh, throughout the season. But you are you are not incorrect but here. You, you you've got to get away from the college football playoff and other bowl games. You're also yeah, and I'll pick the game in a second. Just as a side note, um, Louisville Kentucky. Uh, it, it it's a gr- it, I don't know if it's a great game. It's certainly a compelling game, and it's it's a game with plenty of urgency because of the Kentucky side of things. But it does go up uh, with the college football playoff. You know, the semifinals happening on Saturday. Um, so if you're the type of sports fan who listens to this podcast, obviously you love your college hoops. Uh, it's actually a pretty awesome little Saturday getting those games, and then you get something enticing enough like Louisville, Kentucky, and then smart of college hoops for the most part to get the games of interest and the games that you might want to watch uh, on Sunday, which obviously will run counter to, uh, to to NFL, but but so it goes. Okay, so WVU. At Ohio State, um, a quick side shout-out to Bob Huggins. Um, he was honored. So he scheduled a roadie versus Youngstown State last week. West Virginia won that. Huggins, you know, early in his career, coached at Youngstown State. And so that was one of those deals where um, they honored him. He scheduled the road game. I love that kind of stuff. He got the win. West Virginia has two road wins to its name uh, this season. This is technically not a road game uh, because this will not be played at Ohio State's home arena. This will be played at uh, the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland. This is not a game in Columbus. Um but that being said, uh, one of the tougher reads of the weekend because West Virginia rates well in multiple metrics. It's 23rd at Kempom right now, 10-1 and one on the season, has definitely zipped way under the radar because although it's played some solid opponents, and just solid, you know, Pitt, Wichita State, Northern Iowa, Rhode Island, St. John's. St. John's is the only loss. It came by two in a road environment. Um West Virginia's yet to have. You can't expect to go beat Golden Gate Mike. On no, the road. you can't. No, you cannot expect to beat Golden. I don't Gate even. Mike. I don't even know why you schedule that game. You I, try to go beat Golden Gate. It's Mike regrettable. On the road. You're it's, out of your mind, it's, Bob. It's Huffins. highly regrettable. Um, no one really knows how good West Virginia is yet. Um, Oscar Shibwe is a freshman that you need to see. He's been terrific. He's been a top 15 freshman in America. An amazing guy to crash the glass on both ends. Uh, he and Derek Culver make for just an awesome one-two punch. West Virginia really does have uh, a solid, solid front line. I think they're going to give. Uh, I'm going to go this. I'm going to go this route here. I think they're going to give Ohio State enough of a push. Seven is is going to entice me enough here, and this is one of the. You know, more undervalued teams in America. I will take West Virginia to cover the seven against Ohio State. I'll have the Buckeyes winning, but give me WVU if it's getting seven. We've talked so much about Ohio State. They've got four top 40 Kimpom wins right now. If they get this one, that'll be five, and that means they'll wake up on Monday with more top 40 Kimpom wins than anybody else in the country. It's among the reasons I have them ranked number one in the CBS Sports top 25 and uh, and one, the lone loss on the resume, obviously the loss at Minnesota when Dwayne Washington Jr. was sidelined uh, with an injury. West Virginia, you're exactly right. Like, um, I got a tweet from somebody a few weeks ago or maybe a few days ago. It all blends together. But they were like, GP, are you, you seem a little unsure about West Virginia. Are you a little hesitant? To, and I'm like, I don't – I mean, I'm not unsure of them. They're like The numbers say they're good. The record says they're good. I'm, I'm sure that they're good. I would assume they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. But they don't have the big signature win yet um, that, that usually gets people to pay attention. I, I really don't think casual basketball fans have seen them that much, um, if at all. 
And by the way, if you haven't watched them or um, or paid attention and, and you think you're going to turn this game on Sunday and watch Press Virginia, they're not really doing that. Um, you know, they went through a stretch four years where they were top two in defensive turnover um, percentage, 2015, 16, 17, 18. Right now they're 139th. So they're just not pressing the way that they used to press. So it's a different style um, that Hugs is is implementing, and it's obviously successful because they're sitting here with this ten and one record. Um, I, I I like Ohio State to win the game. I think Ohio State right now is the most deserving um, of, of the number one ranking of anybody in the country. But seven points seems like a lot, so I would probably take West Virginia plus the seven as well. We'll match up on that one. Let's move on to the next game Sunday, three o'clock Eastern. Number five, Kansas at Stanford inside Maples Pavilion. You can watch it on ABC. Ken Palm has Kansas minus five. So this is one of those games where the average sports fan is just going to go, it's number five, Kansas against unranked Stanford. Um, This should be light work. Stanford's, uh, again, in the the computers, better than, than I think some people realize. They're number 12 in the net. They're 11-1 and one overall. The only loss is a one-point loss to Butler. Um, so I have Stanford in the top 25-1 and one right now. They're not ranked. But trust me, if they win this one on Sunday, they'll be on every AP ballot, I would assume. I mean, you never know. <laughs> but I would assume yeah. they'll be on every AP ballot uh, come Monday. It's a big opportunity for Stanford. It is. The net likes Stanford more than any other metric, though. They're all over the place uh, if you really, you know, the Massey composite has uh, a list of just way too many metrics. But from there, I mean, they come in in the 33rd in the Massey composite. As a comparison, West Virginia, which we t- talked about, is 15th. Stanford is snug between Creighton and Texas Tech. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm so confused by Stanford. Don't know how good this team is. An amazing opportunity at home. Stanford home game on ABC reminds me of um, they were they the uh, oh man when they remained undefeated who hit that do you remember this would have been like oh four it was oh four oh four oh four they were undefeated played the game on ABC I only know this because I was in college at that time and we only got like five stations on our college newspapers television and ABC was one of them and it was a Saturday game. <laughs> I was the only I don't even know why I was in my newspaper office. I was the only one in the damn building. Stanford hits the shot to either send it to OT or win. It was home. I want to say they beat Arizona. I think it was Arizona and it was like behind half court. You don't have any memory of this? I have n- no, I have no. Dude, I don't have, come I don't, on. That's that Childress. I don't have a memory of 2004. Like, I don't remember anything about 2004. That's incorrect because you remember that UConn won the national title in 2004. You said it on this very damn podcast. I think I was mostly guessing then. I don't remember. How about this? I don't remember UConn winning that championship. I just sort of, I, I just sort of, like, yeah, I cover college basketball. So at, at some point when researching stuff, you pick up on it. But I don't really remember anything about UConn winning the national championship. I do believe you're right, by the way. It's uh, February 7th. It's a Saturday. They were 19-0. They beat Arizona 80-77. That's it. Okay, yeah. So anyway, um, I, I'm, I'm almost positive Brett Musburger was on the call. Don't ask me why I remember these things. I just do. Um, so shout so out to Stanford. <laughs> um, man, there was, a, there was a time when Stanford was a powerhouse. Mike Montgomery had that thing like rolling. It's kind of crazy. Um, but shouts to Jared Haas. 11-1. Home 
home game. Uh, uh, five points. Kansas minus five. I'm going to go Stanford here. Yeah, give me Stanford at home, getting five. I really don't have any idea how good this team is or isn't. Um, I, this is the game I'm most intrigued by I, 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 of the entire weekend. So, yeah, all right. Cardinals. I really, I, I think, I think I agree with you in that sense. This is the game I'm most interested in watching because Stanford is one of those weird teams where it's it's almost New Year's. They're eleven and one. They've got a great net ranking, but they are and they've improved forty two, like forty spots. They've gone from ninety two to as high as forty eight. They're now fifty fifth at Ken Palm. So they've improved in Ken Palm. Even if they're fifty fifth though. Like, think about that. An 11-1 team from a power conference only lost by one point to Butler, which is, uh, you know, considered a top 12 team in, in so many metrics, and still only 55th. That's, well, that's kind of telling. Here, here's the thing I was going to say is that they're an interesting team in the sense that it's almost New Year's. They've played 12 games. They've won 11 of them. And the most impressive thing they've done is probably lose by one point to Butler. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, I mean, they beat Oklahoma on a neutral by 19 points, but the most, the thing that got me mostly paying attention to them, I think before most people, it, it, because I rank teams every morning and you're constantly looking for teams that, that are candidates was, Hey, this team's only lost once. And it was a one point loss to a Butler team. We now know is good. So maybe that suggests this team is good, but they do not have good wins. Just one top 50 win, really, just one top 100 win. And so this is a big opportunity. I'll take Kansas minus five. Kansas has played in so many um, – they've been in big spots already this season uh, multiple times. Obviously opening with the Champions Classic, then they go out to, to Maui. Um, they've been on the road to Villanova. Like, if you've just gone to Villanova, you're not going to be shook by anything you see at Stanford. So uh, I'll take Kansas to, to win the game and, and cover that five. Um, next game, Sunday, 6 o'clock Eastern. I'm interested in this one, too. Arkansas at Indiana inside Assembly Hall. You can watch it on the Big Ten Network. Indiana minus four, according to Ken Palm. I'll be quick with this. Um, Arkansas has been better than expected on my end. 10-1. Um, and one. Only loss in overtime at Western Kentucky. Musselman has done a solid job opening up there. Um, the, the non-conference schedule, like Stan- Stanford hasn't played a great, a great non-conference schedule. Neither has Arkansas. But you know what? For Musselman in particular, um, you inherit some of those games, but then if you can control it, you know, Arkansas has just been down. I, I, I'll never fault a coach for going easy in the non-con in year one at a power conference gig. Uh, by all means, uh, do that here. And now you've got your toughest test of the season in a true road environment against Indiana. Um I'm still a relative seller on Arkansas overall. Not convinced this is going to be an NCAA tournament team. I uh, want to see what it can do in the first couple of weeks of SEC play and obviously here in a tight spot on Sunday at Indiana. I am a believer in Indiana. Um, one quick note on them. Uh, they could be, and I don't know how much value this will have down the road, but when I spoke with Archie Miller a couple weeks ago, um, he was adamant that he will have an 11-man rotation. And this is the kind of thing where coaches always talk about it, like in the preseason. He's like, no, we will run 11. If we're healthy, we're going to run 11. They don't have anyone averaging more than the 30 minutes per game. Approximately the only guy in their 11-man rotation who uh, 
is not even at 10 minutes a game is, is Deron Davis, whose development has not gone as planned, but he's even still getting a little bit of burn there. And somehow they're making it work because they don't have an alpha. I mean, Rob Finnessy, Devontae Green, uh, Joey Brunk have all kind of, you know, they've had moments there. And then Trace Jackson Davis has been a top 10 freshman in America. He's been he's been solid, but he's still learning there. I like Indiana, and I like Indiana comfortably here, Parrish. This is my most confident pick yet. I will definitely take IU minus four. Yeah, Indiana is now number 26 in the top 25 and one. And when I put them there after removing Washington, I guess it was Thursday morning, somebody tweeted me and they were like, Indy, you have Indiana in there? Like, um, you must have been desperate. And I'm like, I was. Like, the, you, it really, there aren't great candidates. Usually, as somebody who does this every morning, I can tell you there's about 24, 23, 24 teams that are just no brainers. And then you can find, you know, somebody else that, fits the criteria you typically apply to ranking basketball teams. And so I just start going down a list of teams and, and I, you know, and I, I go, okay, this team, I don't have ranked. I look at them and I go, eh, nope, they've got that thing that, that, that's a, that's a non-starter for me. I get to the next team and, and you, you ultimately end up and I go, I, I guess Indiana, at least they've got a good win. And then you can rationalize the, the one loss because the the loss isn't great. It, it I mean it's not terrible, but it's to a not great um, Wisconsin team on the road, and 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 it was it was lopsided. They lost by twenty, and they played really really poorly in that game. If you're trying to rationalize that, and I don't think Rob Finnessy is the difference in that game. I think they probably lose that game no matter what. But they are undefeated with Rob Finnessy available this season. So eleven and one. Uh, with a win over Florida State and a 7 0 record with Rob Fennessy, that you can be number 26. But they'll have, so when I was looking at it, I actually like sort of pointed this game as a, as a play in top 25 and one game. Because if Indiana wins it, then the resume is better. They've got to win over a f- another top 50 team. And if Arkansas wins it, then suddenly Arkansas has got a, a, a pretty significant road win to go with a. Uh, a, a, a resume that only has one loss and the one loss, it's not good. It's a Western Kentucky loss, but it's a top 100 loss on the road in overtime. They could have very easily won that game and they'd be undefeated right now. So, you know, either Indiana wins and they can stay in Arkansas wins and, and they can probably jump in. But um, it's certainly an interesting Sunday night game. Um, we don't always get those in college basketball, but that's a, that's a pretty good one. I think I agree with you. I don't know how good Arkansas is. I agree with you that Muss has done a tremendous job to even make, you know, it, you inherit what he inherited and you're 10 and one heading into a December 29th game against Indiana. You're doing a good job. I can tell you my friends who are Arkansas graduates and Arkansas fans are fired up about basketball for the first time in a long time. And if you're able to go win at Indiana, then that'll obviously take it to another level. But I, I think with you know, minus four, that's the projection. It's a pretty small number for Indiana inside Assembly Hall. If you can handle Florida State the way they handled Florida State um, in that building earlier this season, beat them by 16, I, I think you can handle handle Arkansas. So I'll lay the four points with you. All right, last game here. I'm going to go with the only other game between power conference teams in a road environment that's uh, even half compelling, and it will flash back to Saturday. It is on CBS. It will be on before Louisville, Kentucky, and it features a couple of teams – whose outlook for this season remains extremely hazy. So you got 6-5 and five Wisconsin going on the road to play against a Tennessee team uh, that's 8-3 and three and is um, 
certainly twisting right now, twisting in the wind because Lamonte Turner, um, who I value, who I valued as the team's uh, most important and best player, he's done, and it's not just a season-ending injury uh, that it's his career-ending injury. Um, right. He was having shoulder issues to the point where he could not bear the pain anymore. Lamonte, I so 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 empathize with you, man. If it was that bad. Get yourself healthy, get yourself right, and hopefully um, you can have a shot at making a pro roster here uh, in the coming months or in the coming years here. Um, so we don't know what Tennessee is going to be. Uh, this will be its first game without Turner. It's got good talent. Jordan Bowden is a player that I would say, you know, a few months out here, don't be shocked if he gets drafted, but let's see how he can thrive without Turner on the floor. They've got a good freshman, Josiah Jordan-James, who's been good. I'm definitely an Eves Ponds believer. He's an athletic freak. Hasn't been quite as good as I thought he'd be this season, but now... Without Turner there, they lose a lot of the grease in the offense, but a lot of guys are going to get more opportunities there. Tennessee's at home. It's a five-point favorite here. Um, don't know how good either of these teams are, I'll be honest, Parrish, and Wisconsin doesn't match up uh, as as good of a team as Tennessee right now. I'm a little surprised that it's only five points for the Vols. I'll just give you my pick right off the top here, and then you can take it. I will take Tennessee even without Lamonte Turner in this environment. Give me the Vols getting five, or getting five, I should say. Yeah, I'll I'll go Wisconsin plus the five, if only because if I'm going to make up ground on you, I got to go opposite you every once in a while. And this seems like a reasonable place to go opposite of you because, like, l- losing Lamonte Turner is not insignificant. I mean, they, he is arguably the team's best player. And he hadn't been great this season, but I think now we know why. Like, he was in, in real pain and couldn't play and couldn't function the way he would typically function. And so I'm not a fan of, of this Wisconsin team. Um, they've lost some games that normal Wisconsin teams don't lose, but it's still top 55 at, at Ken Palm, and, and they've still got the win over Indiana. They've got a win over Marquette. This is obviously a road situation, and that's difficult. Knoxville is a difficult place to play, but uh, I'll take Wisconsin plus the five in a, you know, in, a, in a game between two teams that we probably won't discuss much come March. Yeah. All right, well... Uh... You want to just get out of here? I can save my story for Sunday's podcast. You can tell your story real quickly if you you'd sure? like. I'm sure. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I can't believe we're 44 minutes into this. I didn't think we'd go this long. But um, so uh, I so yeah, I was in the hospital for. <laughs> I know. <laughs> let, let, let me first set the, set the stage for you. So this dude, you guys remember, could not go to Las Vegas because he couldn't get on a plane because he's he's he, uh, he, he just he's in real pain that it's still trying to get resolved. I'm looking at him right now and he's just like he keeps moving around all of these weird ways just to try to to, to relieve the pain just a little bit. You can still see my you see I still got the hospital band on. Right so th- so we get a text message from this clown on Christmas. Literally Christmas, he's like, I'm in the hospital. So I, obviously you assume it's based on what he's been dealing with, the thing that no. kept him from going to Las Vegas for no. CBS Sports Classic. Nope, totally nope. different deal. Nope, totally, yeah, totally, different totally, deal. Totally I different. didn't think we'd be – I honestly – you know what, you bring my spirits up. I – even as recently as – so we recorded this Friday morning. I'd say even as recently as like Thursday at like 6 p.m. at night, I was like, yeah, well, uh, he's going to do this by himself. Parrish is in a podcast by himself. I'm not doing it. But we got it done. So, um, yeah, my family comes over on Christmas Eve uh, during the day and into the evening. I uh, have a great time. They, they bring 
gifts for my kiddos. We do a couple board games, everything, and it's all pretty good. And then um, right about when they're getting ready to leave, I start, I, you know, I start to have a little bit of a, just a weird, funky uh, feeling, but nothing too bad uh, in my intestines, in my like lower left side. And I'm like, okay, maybe it was the dinner. Who knows? Um, they leave, and it goes from that. They leave at 8.30 at night. And it goes from that to by 9.30, as my wife is wrapping presents, finishing the wrapping for our, for our kids, um, I'm, I'm on, uh, we, have, uh, we have like a, a guest room downstairs in our house. We have a, we have a, we have a bed there, which we normally you know, reserve for changing our child and stuff. And I'm on there and I'm like shaking. I've got the shakes. I'm in pain. I don't know what's going on. I've had kidney stones before, as have you. And I was like, this is not kidney stones, because if it was kidney stones, it'd be even worse. Um, but I was like, I really think I got to go to the ER. I, I can't believe this right now. I have to go to the ER. And so I go. Uh, so my, my wife drives me. We get, you know, my sister-in-law comes over to watch the kids as they're sleeping. Just be someone be at the house. Get to the ER. I don't even know. 1030. And this is Christmas Eve. And... Um, Thankfully, I didn't know what to expect, but it was not busy at the ER on Christmas Eve. I was in, and I was in the uh, triage area with a quickness. Um, but I'm like, the pain is brutal in my lower left side. And I actually Googled what it could be. And sure enough, I would come to find out uh, I was suffering from diverticulitis, which um, I have learned... Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. missed four games in 2007 because of it. Uh, Boston Bruin David Backus uh, was diagnosed with it and missed th- uh, like three weeks uh, about two years ago. Brock Lesnar, I guess, had had it be so severe, the uh, the mixed martial arts uh, fighter, uh, that it like legitimately came close to killing him. And even Gino Oriema recently underwent surgery for this. And so when I'm in when I'm in triage, first of all, I had to get a CAT scan. They make you drink this drink so that you can get coloring, so the CAT scan can do what it does, GP. And it's the size of think about like the biggest drink that you could get at like a 7-Eleven kind of deal, but it's just it's blander than water, and you're not thirsty, and you got to drink it. So even that makes you want to vomit. Okay, you got to drink all this, and in a timely fashion. That itself was a chore. I'm in pain, and eventually the CAT scan comes back. I get no sleep. I get the CAT scan at like 2 a.m. By about 4.45, I can't fall asleep. There was a guy who had kidney stones in triage. So as this is all going on, and I, by the way, my leg is still an issue. Like, that's not that – <laughs> He still can't, still can't walk. But I will say this. The diverticulitis was so painful that my body did, did say, okay, we're going we're gonna to take it easy on, on your leg thing. And we're going to just focus all your discomfort right you know, right above your groin. So I was thankful for that, I guess. Uh, but there was a guy with kidney stones. So as I'm like there, and they give you like this thing to pee in, and I have to get up. Dude, it's, it's painful to get up. I have to get up and pee because I drank that whole thing. I had to get up like every 15 minutes and go pee. It was horrendous. Here I am in Christmas Eve, Christmas morning in the freaking hospital. Thankful that it wasn't kidney stones. But I'll say this. Here, I got a I got a a crystallized stone in my gallbladder, so I'm walking around with that. Don't know when it's gonna be a bother. I you cannot pass a stone in your gallbladder. So the CAT scan revealed that. Some surgeon comes in at 5 a.m., takes me through my whole CAT scan. He goes, Yeah, you got 
you've got diverticulitis. We got to make sure it doesn't swell and we don't have to perform, you know, emergency surgery on you. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Excuse me? So I'm like, I'm in a fugue state going in and out. They, they, they tell me at 5 a.m. they're going to admit me. I don't even get to a room until like 10.30 a.m. for whatever reason. So I'm just sitting there in triage. Totally sucks. Not knowing if I'm going to need surgery. Thankfully, I did not need surgery. Um, but it's a serious deal. So I, as, as a legitimate public service here, if you ever find yourself, and I'm sure there are listeners who have dealt with this, I, I've come to learn that it is more common than people even realize. And it can... I, why it even happens, I don't know. I talked to so many docs when I was in the hospital. But um, if you find yourself with a like crazy pain, tenderness in your lower left side just above your groin, it's, it's a flare-up in your large intestine. You could well have diverticulitis. You need to go to the ER because it can be severe enough where if it inflames, they legitimately have to do surgery on you to calm it down or cut out some of your intestine. I was fortunate that that was not my situation. I thought that maybe my damn sciatic issue was causing like, and you know what I come back to, Parrish? You know what I come back to? Mm. All this stuff, it starts with the dead deer. Okay. I have, I have endured all this crap. And the, and the precedent for it was that morning when I woke up and there was a damn dead deer on you're, my front lawn. You're cursed by a dead deer. You've been cursed. I'm cursed. By the way, like this this podcast started this season with me suffering from double tennis elbow. And that seemed like the worst thing in the world. As we sit here right now, I have single tennis elbow, left arm, left elbow good, right elbow still not good. And yet I'd rather have my single tennis elbow above anything that you're dealing with i i couldn't believe it spent christmas day in the hospital um they come in every seriously all my thanks to to people that work in in healthcare and in hospitals and you if we have some of those who are in that profession that listen to this podcast i have so much thanks for you it's such a noble profession um you know come and check the vitals they got to draw my blood at 6 a.m. in the morning when I'm trying, you know, that's because that's apparently when you got to do it between like 4 and 6 a.m. So it can be sent for treatment and examination and all that stuff. But um, all of you people, doctors, nurses, everyone, um, you're doing the Lord's work there. So my thanks to everyone in the hospital who, who got me good. And I was able to be discharged um, late on Thursday, thankfully. Still still tender down there on meds. Um Diverticulitis, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a wild one. But hopefully, we'll be on on the mend here and and doing better. Still got an MRI coming up for the leg. See where that's gonna take me. But yeah, it sucks. It just uh, it totally sucks. And now I got this stone in my gallbladder, which you can't pass. So I now know that if I start to get like these horrendous pains on my right side near my rib, that the stone has uh has made its move and I will have to have that surgery removed. So that's good that's good to know. So at least okay. I know it. At least at least the CAT scan told me that. Um but this young you know, this young really nice doc was just like, you see that bad boy right there? And it's like shining like the North Star on my CAT scan. You cannot possibly miss it. And he's like, Yeah, you got a gallstone. Um you're not gonna be able to pass that. So if it ever becomes an issue, you're gonna need surgery. And I said, 
Thanks, Doc. I so, so appreciate it. So I am thrilled to have been able to do this podcast with you. I also want to quickly, quickly send a, a note of thanks. We've got a listener to the pod. His name's Clint, and he is uh, he had reached out previously um, with some stuff with uh, <laughs> in regard to my leg, and um, he has been very helpful. So I just wanted to send him a specific thanks uh, for him taking time. Like he, he took like legitimate time to help me out with some stuff. So Clint, uh, thank you. Good luck to your Mountaineers. He is actually um, he is a West Virginia fan, so he'll have appreciated that we did a segment on that. But um, yeah, that's basically that. It sucks to uh, to spend Christmas Eve and Christmas in the hospital, but um, I'm back home and uh, and doing well. And that is obviously the um, the most important thing. I know there are others who are even less fortunate on this holiday season, and we certainly send our thoughts and our empathy to them. But uh, figured, you know. I, I update the listeners with with the latest on that. I don't know if you needed to know all of that, but legitimately, like, I I, I wanted to pass along. Like, if you find yourself in that situation, go to the ER. I'm so glad I did because you never know how it could escalate. And I was in, I found myself out of nowhere, zero to sixty in an hour in like ridiculous amounts of pain on Christmas Eve. So there we go. Yeah, yeah. This turned into a, a medical podcast. <laughs> um, here's what I last thing I'd say. Look, it sucks to go through what you're going through any time of the year. Um, under any circumstances, it especially sucks when you are going through it uh, during Christmas, literally like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when you have young children, because uh, the most fun you can have um, at Christmas, at least I think, is when you have um, young children, like, well, you know, waking up with them, seeing the, the looks on their faces. And so you don't you don't get those back and you don't have them forever. And so that stinks. Uh, but hopefully you get to to make up for it uh, today, uh, tomorrow or in, or however uh, you guys are going to go about that. So with that, shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Allen College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Leave a nice comment. And we will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care. There are no sports going on right now. None. I never imagined times like this happening, but here we are. And because we're all in this together, nothing personal with David Sampson carries on. We will carry on every Monday through Friday. We will keep breaking down this widespread and lasting impact of the coronavirus and provide updates and insight on these unprecedented events. I mean, in my 18 years as president of a Major League Baseball team, I saw some crazy stuff but nothing quite like COVID-19. It's brought the live sports world to its knees. And I promise to decode the BS in sports, and that's never been more true than right now. You need to know what's happening. Download and subscribe to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else podcasts are found. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal.